Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, ah, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucker baiters and what the fuckalos? Okay, that's it. How are you? Mark Marin here. WTF is the name of the show. I am the host of said show. This is it. We are here again on Monday. Can I say this? I will be at the Stress Factory in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Yeah, I didn't do that on purpose. I did not do that on purpose. That is going to be uh, April 13th and 14th. I haven't been there in a while. It's an old room. It's a big room. It's an intense room. I welcome all of my uh, friends from the East Coast to uh, to travel down to New Brunswick, New Jersey. My friends in New York and Brooklyn, do something unhip for a change. Come to New Brunswick, New Jersey. See me at the Stress Factory. It's going to be my only East Coast dates for a little while. I'll get back there eventually, but please, please come out. You can get the link to tickets at WTFPod.com. I also just added a link there for uh, Just Coffee WTF blend in the merch section. That's the one that uh, I make a little percentage off of. Today on the show, Dave Cross, David Cross. Uh, you may know him from Mr. Show, Arrested Development, uh, Chipmunk movies, uh, other movies he's had parts in. You might know him from back in the day in Boston when I met him. It's so weird. It's so weird talking to Dave. I mean, we had a long conversation. I'm not going to burn up too much time here. I, got, I pulled this book out of my shelf. I was out to dinner with uh, with my buddy Coop, Chris Cooper, the artiste, the man who hot-rodded the hot-rod art, the dude who did that uh, poster for my uh, shows up at the Neptune. Great poster artist, great painter. We're actually doing a, a collector's card sticker of that poster in the style of the old Odd Rods card. But nonetheless, we were out to dinner and we got to talking about Adam Parfrey and I hadn't thought of his name in a while and I realized I had this book and we started talking about this book, Apocalypse Culture, edited by Adam Parfrey. And this book changed my fucking life. The first edition. You can't find the first edition that much anymore. I don't even know if you can find the second edition. I've got both editions because of how obsessed I was with this book. And it changed my life. It was one of those books. It was like it was like the denial of death, but a lot different in that it just blew every aspect of my fucking mind so far out that I could never look at things the same again. And if you want that experience, I don't know if it holds up because I was sort of looking through it. It's got a painting by Joe Coleman on the front. Now, this is a, the time in the early 90s. You know, when did this come out? I mean, I was, uh, my brain was, this was 1987. Holy shit. Where the hell was I? Where did I buy this book? Because I remember it coming out and I was like, oh my God, I got to have this book. So it must have been right after the things broke apart in my head. No wonder it had such a powerful impact. But there's just, there's four different sections in this thing. There's apocalypse theologies, apocalypse art, apocalypse science, and apocalypse politics. But there was a, this was during the conspiracy time. There was a thing in here written by this out there ex-Freemason called uh, 
King Kill 33 degree latitude. Masonic symbolism, the assassination of John F. Kennedy by a guy named James Shelby Downward. And there's an intro to it by a guy named Michael A. Hoffman. And this thing just blew my mind. It just broke down the assassination, the events that surrounded it as part of a Masonic ritual. You know, dealing with, you know, going down to the names of people like Jack Ruby, the, the Ruby, the color red for Ruby, and just breaking it down all the way down to that point. And there was a point in my life where I was like, see, you just got to break things down efficiently down to the very, even if it's a name, break it down to a color or a jewel because that jewel has some sort of significance. Boy, there is no end to the depth of bullshit you can get yourself involved in with conspiracy so ornate but in retrospect i look at it as one of the most beautiful lyrical pieces of conspiracy writing as a genre that i've ever read and there's all kinds of stuff in here and just reading this stuff just blew my mind and broke me wide the fuck open it took me years to close it back up again that's the one thing man listen to me man man you push your brain out there boy you're gonna have to close it back up if you open up that aperture too much eventually you're gonna have to close it back up and learn to adjust it can't stay wide open you can't stay wide open but when i met dave cross christ we you know we talked about all this kind of shit and this is a little something i I just for some reason i feel like being honest with you about this that i was not really a popular kid i don't know if you could glean that from listening to me but i was the kind of kid i fought for my friends and i didn't i don't mean that i defended them that i had to almost i had to just intrude but there were there were i was just so socially awkward so socially uncomfortable i couldn't call myself a nerd because i didn't have any sort of obsessive focus at the time other than the need to belong to be part of the the crew that i thought was cool and man, I went to every length to 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 show up at places where the cool people or people I thought were cool. I'm not saying cool in a general sense because I, I don't know that I was cool ever, but I knew who I wanted to hang out with. And Dave was one of those guys from the very beginning of of when I met him. And and we talk about the whole thing. It's, it's a long interview. I've known him longer than I've known CK, longer than I've known just about anybody. And I first met him in college and I thought he was the funniest fucking guy I'd ever met in my life. And he went to another school. We never became friends but you know years later when i went back to boston you know he was around i'm like i gotta fucking be friends with that guy how do i be friends with that guy i was one of those guys and it takes a lot for me to admit that that to be so awkward i was never the guy that people wanted to hang around i'm not sure i'm that guy now obviously some people want to talk to me they sit here uh, and talk to me and they come over and talk to me but I was never the guy that's sort of like, what's Marin doing? Let's go hang out with Marin. I was more the guy that's sort of like, oh man, Marin. Yeah, and I've talked about that before, but I so badly wanted to be friends with Dave and that crew because I thought he was so fucking funny when I moved back to Boston after after LA and after I'd ripped my brain wide open and I was certain I had some sort of profound, multi-tiered, elaborate understanding of why the the way things were, were the way they were. And, and I was pretty sure I had some important part to play in it. But boy, I was a, an angry barista 
And these guys would come in, Cross would come in, Keitlinger would come in, and I just so wanted to hang out with them. And I think I kind of imposed, perhaps that's the word I was looking uh, looking for, that I just made sure I would show up where, where people were and, and I would I would go out of my way to go, where are you guys going? Where are you going, Dave? Where can I, how can I hang out with you, Dave? Where, where Are you going to be at that place, Dave? Yeah, can I, can I give you a ride? I mean, I was that kind of guy, like, you know, let me take you over there so at least I know we'll be hanging out and I know that I'll know where you are. I'm not proud of that part of my past, but I pursued Dave Cross as a friend, you know, in a very, <laughs> a very uh, aggressive way. And, uh, and, and we are friends, uh, you know, we remain, there's still that, that thing we have between each other. It's a little bizarre. I mean, we're going back. Oh shit. So many years, 89, ugh, over 20 years, 22 years. But uh, it, it was uh, this conversation is one of those conversations between guys sharing memories of, of a long time ago and kind of putting things back together. He, he ended up doing real well for himself. I'm doing okay for myself. But uh, but it's hard for me to admit the uh, the beginnings of this friendship. You know, it, it usually doesn't work out when you aggressively pursue a friendship because you know you're going to be annoying, and it might not be a friendship you wanted to have in the first place. I remember there was one time when I was dating the girl who became my first wife and Dave was living with his girlfriend in Alston and we went over there just to eat and hang out and we finished and we were drinking and we were kind of wasted all four of us and and you know the evening was over and uh and and I was like can we just crash here that's kind of weird and I'm thinking about it I didn't bring this up with him in conversation either and he's like, well, yeah, I guess you could just take a cab or, I mean, you have your car. I'm like, yeah, I'm a little wasted. And, uh, why don't you just let us ca- crash here? And we did. I remember they were like, well, we just bought this futon because they just moved into this place. And me and this woman, you know, crashed in their living room. And uh, I'm not sure why I'm admitting this to you guys. I, I don't even know. I didn't talk to him about it. Maybe I'm just psychoanalyzing myself for a change. And I, I remember that we crashed here, but we ended up having sex on this brand new futon and it was a black futon and we kind of made a mess. And, uh, and there was, you know, there's undeniable uh, mess, sex mess on this brand new futon. And I'm looking back on it. I'm like, why the fuck did I have to stay at his house? Why didn't I just take a cab home? Why, why did, you know, why did I end up doing that on his futon? And then like, you know, when you look at things in retrospect, you know, 22 years ago, I don't know. Maybe I was just being territorial, weird. Jesus Christ. I got no closure for this thing other than uh, I love Dave Cross and uh, and I always get a kick out of him. And I'm glad he's my friend. And, and had I brought this up uh, during the conversation, I would uh, certainly apologize uh, for, for, for messing up that futon. Dave Cross is in the garage, and uh, you know Dave Cross has been on the show a couple of times, but in in a different context. This is the first time it's face to face. No, um, we did the live one. That was face to face. I'm sorry. Yeah, but we uh, I've done it twice, right? Were, were they both the same thing? Both live? No, uh, you did what you did on the phone at the very beginning. Of oh the thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it right. was uh, I don't remember how that went, but I don't think I upset you then. I'm not sure. I don't think I upset you the second time either. In no, some not way. at all. Well, that's the second good. time was more of a show that you were. Yeah, we're like, having a good time. Yeah. So why why are you here? 
Uh, in your shed? No, it's a garage in Los Angeles. This is, I mean, I mean, it's not. I don't know. I'd have to look up the definition of garage. I, I'm going to go with shed. Well, that's a shed. See right out there? That's a little shed. That looks like a trash can. No, the behind the door, there's a shed. Oh, that... I don't. I I didn't bring my X-ray vision. Okay, sorry. Um, well, no. If you take the floor out, there's a garage, and this was that right there was an old workbench that I left in there. Somebody did work in here, and like right where we're sitting, they would the car would come in. There's a so gr- you're saying a car fit where we are, and they did work. Yeah. A... Well, no, I mean they they maybe they pulled it in halfway and opened the uh, the hood to work. But I'm <laughs> okay. not I'm not making this <laughs> they up. Would have to crawl out. Through the windshield. This is big enough for a car. I, uh, uh, all right, let's. It's not. It's not important. You're in Los Angeles, and I get the feeling that this is the last place you want to be ever. Um. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm out here. Uh. The, the part of the problem is I keep coming out here. I. I. Uh. You know, I. I've been away for the better part of two years, and when I can get home, which is now a combination of New York City and a place I have upstate. I really, really like it there, especially divvying up my time. A hundred percent of the time, I love it there. Yeah, and um, and I don't, uh, you know, I, I like my kind of moment to moment in L.A. because my if I'm here, it's usually it means my my girlfriend's here and hanging out with her family who I yeah. love and my friends out here. But when you don't have a lot of stuff to do, like thank God I'm. You know, you called me and said, you know, come and do this because I'd just be sitting around um, in L.A., in L.A., uh, not even just L.A., but on the west side, yeah. which I, I like the weather there. But, man, I hate those people. Yeah. Those annoying pseudo hippie anarchy, yeah. raw food, ignorant, <laughs> uh, proselytizing. Progressively ignorant. That's annoying. the worst. Progressive yes. ignorance is the worst. It's it's uh, you know just so much attitude yeah. and um, and it and it just bums me out and and uh, um, and, and be stranded there. Yeah, exactly. And a- as you know from our back to back, I was supposed to do this yesterday, but um, I mean you're right. I could have rented a car, but I'm only here for five days. So do you you know I'm, how many how often am I going to need a car really? Because in Los Angeles, I, probably never at all. I mean, no, no. Right. What I mean is because I'll be doing stuff with my girlfriend, right? Or right. friends or whatever. So occasionally so you, something comes up and then I'm like, uh, and then everyone, everyone makes fun of me for not renting a car. Oh, so it wasn't just me? It's not just you. But for the one thing that I need. And all I did was postpone this to the next day. And look, everything, I've got my well, whose future car mother-in-law's using? car. You're, so. you're using your future mother-in-law's car. You're yeah. using the family car. Yeah. Cheap. I'm cheap. Is that what it is? Are you... I'm not normally cheap, but I'm practical. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm more of the Scottish stereotype than the Jewish stereotype. <laughs> you... I'm not hoarding money and counting gold, you know, gold shekels. Ingots and shekels. <laughs> and, yeah. um, but rather, I go like, look, I'm not going to rent a car for a week if I'm only going to use it once. Right. And if it's for Marin's podcast, fuck it. Yeah. No. Why I'll do it the next day? Why should I spend an extra seventy-two dollars? You know, for a compact, it hurts. Oh no, no, that's part of the problem. I go large. I get a, I get full on SUV. Yeah, uh, Escalade. Yeah, Escalade. <laughs> tricked out. Yeah. No, it's nine hundred dollars a day. Oh, so you're the guy at the counter going, "Does it have rims? <laughs> do, do they spin the rims?" Yeah. Yeah. Did you finish, Todd Margaret? Yeah, that's all done. The story is told. It was always meant to be. You know, um, span the story spans 
uh, 14 days, so it's told. So it's that. done? Yeah, you, it's done. You, you actually pitched a show that only has a life of 12 episodes? No, be, I didn't have to because uh, it started off, um, you know, in Britain. It started off uh, uh, with them kind of approaching me uh, about doing a show that, that I could co-produce. Yeah. And then uh, with the potential to sell it to the States. And IFC came in kind of after it was established. Um, and said, we'll run it? Yeah, and, and well, paid for half the production they initially, did? and then and then kicked in full time because uh, um, uh, this oh, such an I mean it's a common story in this business, but had done this first series was on Channel Four in the UK, and then uh, they were they were all on board to do it again, do the second series. So was IFC. Everybody, everything was great. Yeah, I, I was going to get a bump up in the budget because it was really low budget, and then in the interim. They got a new Channel Four. Got a new um, what do you call it? A uh, head of production or head of uh, not probably, production in but, Britain. It's probably like a knight of production. <laughs> it's it's uh, they got well. They call him a Duke of Sandwich, and uh, <laughs> it was the Duke of Sandwich of uh, of <laughs> BBC. Not, uh, not, yeah. not production, but I, I'm spacing on the name. But it's uh, basically they the, the Duke of Development. Yeah, um, d- decide what they're going to yeah. put in, and it oh, was the a, Duke of Programming. Yeah. Yeah, the the Baron of uh, Baron of, of Pearl Witch, yeah. and um, so she came in. She's not a fan of comedy. Took all the comedy money out of Channel Four. Um, Did you meet her? I didn't meet her, but uh, my co-writer um, knew her from various things, and he had a great anecdote. Uh, her name is Jay Hunt, and the C is silent. Yeah. And um, she's just a, a shitty person. Yeah. Who, uh, and. Oh, what was it? It was for the Baftas. My my friend, this co-writer Sean Who's Pye, yeah. was great. How do you um, know him? Uh, I I know him from uh, going way way back with Todd Margaret. Uh, I went over there for about a week. Oh, he's to a British meet. guy. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they sent me up to meet a bunch of various uh, uh, potential co-writers, co-producers, and Sean had the good fortune of being the last guy on the last day. And I met a lot of. A lot of my heroes. I mean, I, I met people who I I just couldn't believe I was getting like to who? meet. Charlie Brooker, um, Sam and Jesse from Peep Show. Uh, um, there were there were a number of people that came in that I uh, uh, Robert Popper. Like, man, I love their work. You know, it's so weird. I had no idea you were such a British comedy fan. I mean, I knew you liked Python and everything, but I don't know the people you just mentioned, and I feel stupid. I don't know what it is about me that I don't seem to find time to do a lot of things. But like when I went to England. Yeah, I interviewed Stuart Lee. I interviewed Tim Key. I've I've interviewed uh, Simon Munnery. But you know, these are guys that are you know stand up legends. Right. Not Tim Key, sort of a new guy, but Stuart Lee and right. Munnery right. are are stand up people. And I I don't seem to, I don't lock on to shows, to sketch shows, or to you know comedies that come out of Britain. I don't seek them out. I feel a little uh, ignorant about it. Well, I mean, I, I guess you are ignorant about it only because you don't seek it right, out. Or right. I nobody... mean, but it, it seems to me in my mind it was something that you were always kind of geared towards. I mean, like when I first met you, it seems that that Python really informed your sensibility a lot. Oh, huge. Uh, you know, as a kid, that was the first absurdist, like just laugh out loud, silly, silly uh, comedy that yeah. as I got older, you know, took on new uh, uh, new meanings and yeah. had layers to it that I that I appreciated as an adult almost like those old uh uh batman episodes where as a kid you're like oh it's so funny and then when you watch it again you know 15 years later like oh i didn't even get that that's a total 
taking the piss out of this thing and this thing, you know, and, and Python was like that a lot. But and, even more uh, than stand up, it, it influenced you. I mean, like w- when I met you doing stand up, I mean, your bits were pretty elaborate, pretty character driven, pretty absurd initially. Yeah. Uh, well, you, and, and again, you met me early, early on as I was developing my voice and probably hadn't even really developed it yet. I was still doing I still had that, you know, deep uh, cough. Andy Kaufman. Uh, he was your guy. Influence. Yeah. And and even Stephen Wright, in yeah. a sense, and, uh, you know, hadn't turned into the yeah, you hadn't, comic that you, I was. You hadn't found yeah. your, uh, you hadn't given voice to, like, David Cross's cynicism. Right. You know, it you, was you, different. It was, it was like, it was fragmented. Was co-opting someone else's cynicism. Well, no, it was done through characters. You know, you were, right. you were provoking the audience's patience. Right. Uh, and, and also challenging their ability to understand, you know, what what was funny and what isn't funny. Right. And it was a what it was is an elaborate uh, giving up yeah. before like I I'm not even going to try to win you over. It's not going to work. I give up. <laughs> I might as well just wrap myself in a white flag. I still I talk about like there there are moments because, you know, we knew each other in such a weird developmental period and we we're so fucking young. There are just moments where uh, that are, are amazing when you used to go up and open with that gay character. God damn it. It was so fucking good. Because people had no idea whether or not you were kidding. And yeah, they- I, and it's it's uh, it's the w- one true regret I have is that I'll never be able to do stuff like that because people know you, know me. And uh, but man, for a good a good decade, going up and doing like the Montreal Comedy Festival yeah. and showcasing at the Improv or, or you know out here in L.A. when nobody knew who I was and being able to do those weird, right? You know, on a showcase night. That's yeah. the key. Is eight like, minutes. There's, there's you know, 20 comics going up there and they're yeah. trotting out their best stuff, you know, I mean, yeah, and yeah. it's tight and yeah. it's, uh, and it's a lot of pop culture references yeah. and, um, and then there's this, what? And it, you know, as, as you witnessed, it would, uh, miss as often as it would hit. And when it missed, it missed really big. And, but did you enjoy that? Um, I mean, cause you yeah, said, because you always have that, uh, um, in a, in a, in a selfish pussy way, you always have that. Ability to, to if it did bomb, to yeah. to say, well, that's part of it. Yeah, you or know? they didn't or was, get it. They didn't get it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and and that's kind of true. It's not like a guy who's bitter because his joke wasn't that funny, and it, you know, whatever. Um, so I always had that. That was a bit of a crutch to to that to, I could to do the weird stuff. Uh, well, to have that attitude, like, right, well, right. fuck it. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, well, there were some there were some weird bits though. The dancing bit that was always good. I don't remember how dancing that dancing bit. Oh, wait, were, the, uh, he used to close with it with the you know do oh, the, the cat. kid was the the, the hyperventilating. Uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's how it started. Like you, you would start. I don't remember oh, what that's the going bit was. So far back, but I don't remember what the bit was. But you like, I can't. I don't know. I can't. Uh, and then they'd yeah. start the in excess song. Yes, bang, and then you just start dancing. Then starting dancing, yeah, and then you do the cat. And then you do the oh right oh I forgot about that yeah it's and then there was that one night where uh, you took a roll of toilet paper you stripped down to your underwear and uh, to music you started you know running toilet paper around the entire room like wrapping things in toilet paper that was a, a, a some extension of that piece I think maybe I don't know I you don't, don't remember that I don't remember most that. people would remember that if they did that <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that at all that man you know those days at. When we had the run of Catch a Rising Star late night in Cambridge. Oh, and the, the best. There was like a group of people that like once the guy who booked the place left. 
Like, you know, this guy, Robin Horton, would do the list. And, you know, ultimately, you and me and a couple other people would start at number six and he'd move us down to 15. Right. But he would leave at like nine. You know, and when we saw him like put on his dumb parka and get his briefcase and act like we liked him and go, we're, you know, I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, you know, it'd be like, yes, it was a free for all. And then no one could get on stage without someone getting on the back mic going, Mark, Mark, like James Lemur or whoever. I was going to say Lemur, uh, he was probably the king of the yeah. subversive, like calling in. He would go find where the applications were. And we all knew where he hit him. Yeah. You know, he put him up at that top oh, that's, shelf uh, in the in back the office. room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Lemur would get copy all the information mm-hmm. and call the people as Robin as the booker <laughs> and tell them to come down but it's like listen it's going to be pirate themed we want you to dress like a pirate just the <laughs> cruelest yeah I, I never liked that kind of thing but um, it always felt bad to me but I liked him on the back mic where no one could get through a set without somebody interrupting right. and all kinds of fucking weirdness went on it was uh, I remember something Robin said to me when he when he had me like started having me literally close and I was like what the fuck what I mean I've been doing this for years I don't why and and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said you're going to school and then left right like that was his right idea like or there was always gonna learn you there was did you ever get this one where you do a joke and he pull you into the office and goes that joke you just did it's page six out of Barry Crimmins notebook uh, That's I the, didn't get that, but I didn't really do that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. But I can certainly imagine you yeah, getting there was a lot, yeah, lectured. It's a few different numbers. That's <laughs> yeah. page three of Barry yeah. Crimmins' notebook. Yeah. A horrible fucking I can't, guy. So Barry numbers his notebooks? I guess so. Does he do it first or does he write all his stuff down and then go page one, two, I don't three? Or does he write it before that when the page is blank? Well, the, the weird thing was apparently he gave them to Robin for safekeeping. and. <laughs> <laughs> Had no idea. Memorize these, then <laughs> yeah, give them back. Yeah, yeah. And if anybody does anything similar to what I'm doing. I might call you in the middle of the night and ask for what's on page five. Do you find that weird when, as we get older that there's this whole element of like, wait, what happened to that guy? Yeah, I mean, of course. And the, it, it, I don't know really, it's very hard for me to frame it because like I, I don't see, like I see points in my life where I'm like, I don't, I could be that guy. And I have a tremendous uh, heavy sure. heart about it, you know, when I run into people and you're like, what are you even doing? Well, I don't know. Isn't there something heartbreaking about the whole thing? <laughs> yeah, depending on the person, depending yeah. on their, on on the path they took and what they did along that path. I mean, I think you're as good an example of anybody uh, because you were, you were uh, clearly gifted and talented and you also had a lot of demons and you, you exacerbated the situation uh, irresponsibly. And (laughs) then you got to a point uh, and you were still able to kind of, kind of power through, but you also had sort of plateaued at a point. Yeah. And I don't know what it was that motivated you, um, nor do I care to know, Yeah, but you, eventually cleaned up yeah and uh and you're a a better person for it you're a better comedian you're a better writer you're better yeah uh, i mean so there are people who didn't do that but but an example of somebody who and also where we were and well you got out, out of boston before i did but where we were not really no when did you go to no New York? i mean there was that weird thing where you know we had done yeah, we can go here and then we'll come back around to Todd Margaret. But I mean, you know, what had happened was we were all doing stand up and then you and I, I remember we sat down, we wrote the manifesto for cross, oh, cross comedy. comedy. Yeah. We, I did the first two shows with you. And then like, you know, I went to New York and you guys went to LA, you Dombrowski, Groff. It almost seemed that like- That was later. No, but you were in New York. Right. 89. Yeah. And I was, I stayed there for another 
three years in you Boston. Did? Yeah, I didn't move to LA until ninety. Three. I think this, that's the interesting thing because that's really where this sense of alternative comedy or whatever started. Because what was going on at Catch in the Basement, you know, around the time that you were doing Mister or, or Cross Comedy, was it was clear that there were some comics that were never going to play, you know, Knicks or be oh, regional yeah, yeah. acts. Yeah. That there was really at the that was about the beginning, like in the early '90s, where it was like we have to cut our own path. Yeah, to find work for ourselves. Yeah, definitely. And you guys decided, you know, uh, you know, it's it's weird. I don't have a lot of regrets, but I don't know that I ever knew how to work with people, and I just always had this like dream of stand up, and the sense that you know you were a huge fan of sketch, and you guys were you know really started to do that stuff, and you moved out to L.A. in what ninety three you said with with uh, with cross comedy basically with those guys with those players. No, not necessarily. I I. Uh, I mean, that's not really what happened. I, I reluctantly left uh, Boston, um, and the only regret I have is my pretentious uh, uh, kind of arrogance um, about purity and comedy and all that bullshit. But I got offered- When did that die? Because I'm not feeling that- <laughs> Is that is that gone now? I don't. I think it's gone. I I don't know if you if you're uh, aware, but the uh, the threequel to Alvin and the Chipmunks <laughs> is contractually obligated. That's a whole other story that I will get into. Um, we should get into that because you know I I, I want, okay let's not do it yet. Okay, so you know you, what happened now? You didn't want to leave Boston. Now I think people should know that Dave Cross never cut any corners. Uh, you you went out there. You you did the horrible gigs. You, you know oh, yeah. you, you took the hits. Uh, you, you had several uh, you know spectacular jobs to make money. There was yeah, you know, and I and I know we've discussed this before, but I I, I tell the story still about the medical experiments. The or? medical experiments were great. The the one where the 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 uh, antacid story the best. <laughs> yeah. That's that to me. That's the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> that was Be- pretty funny because you're such a, you. You always went into these things with a very practical notion of like sort of like, oh, how bad could it be? You know, right. I'm going to do this. They're going to pay me this, and then that'll be that. And then you go and you would come home, <laughs> fucking days burping and sick. And that well, yeah, that was also my complete ignorance as to how it would work. But the the short version of that story is. I'd done these medical experiments. It's, it's just a lazy person's way to make a bunch of Did you of give cash. blood as well? Yeah, that was the first one I did. Um, oh, I didn't give blood. Uh, giving blood was part of the thing. That's when I had to stay overnight at the place in Jamaica <laughs> Plain. And uh, um, <laughs> with just like toothless truck truck driver, like, yeah. wow. Do, so you were a trucker before you became a <laughs> truck stop gay <laughs> hooker or which happened? Vice for- Was it the first way around? Or, and now you're here and yeah. nobody knows you as buddy? Yeah. You know, and- um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I went back. It's just a, a easy way to make a bunch of money. Um, and by a bunch, I'm talking about back then. It was like 250 bucks. Right. So like right. that's all I need for a couple weeks. Right. And so I did a a pretty easy one. What I thought was easy. You go in at 10 in the morning, uh, I believe, and then you're released at about five. You didn't have to go overnight, and it was just uh, to to uh, it was four Sundays of that in a row, and it was to test and acid versus placebos right and um uh so the first morning i went in i think rich Turiel uh drove me in there i remember louis drove me in one time uh and i was really hung over we had been up all night we were probably at some loft thing doing a show or whatever and i was just i was still drunk and um and so they they had big big pots, vats of Wendy's chili. And yeah. It was burnt on the bottom, and yeah. they, they didn't have real people cooking it. They just right. heated it up, and it was burnt. And 
just nasty, bad, nasty yeah, chili. Yeah. And then uh, Dixie cups of Carlo Rossi red wine. <laughs> Box wine. Yeah, to give you right, an acid. Right. And it was it was like 10 o'clock on a Sunday. I'd probably had like four hours of sleep. And uh, and then um, and I was still hung over, still drunk, hung over. And just to get myself right, I had I had probably like five bowls of that chili and um, probably a good like seven cups of those wine, <laughs> got a little yeah. cups of wine. And then, you know, took the pills, da, da, da. All right, that's <laughs> fine. See you. Left at five. Came back the next <laughs> the next time, but I wasn't hung over at all. I got plenty of sleep. I wasn't drunk. Yeah. I was fresh as a daisy. Yeah. <laughs> and they come up and they give me five bowls at 10 in the morning. <laughs> Because that's I haven't even had any coffee. Because that's what you had done before. Yes, I had to match each time. Like, what? No, 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 no. Like, yeah, you have to eat five bowls of chili and you have to have seven glasses of this shitty wine and then hang out with a bunch of losers in this like rec room. From yeah. the, it was like a, uh, it was like the waiting room of a Durham, North Carolina bus station right. at like three in the morning with like a little you know 15 inch tv that's showing some game and that's it and some old you know yeah. uh field and stream magazines yeah. all day yeah. like with just the worst pain uh it was awful <laughs> and then they give you, you you might get placebos like this isn't helping me this pill doesn't work oh oh <laughs> Oh, that's fucking beautiful. And then you were, I remember you were driving around that fucking van delivering fucking envelopes for that goddamn place in Cambridge. Oh, yeah. God, there were some good ones. All right. So when you decided to leave Boston, though, like what I'm curious about is that, so you left the Chipmunk movie we'll get to. Why were you, why didn't you want to leave? What What made you leave? I, cross comedy was kind of uh, really reaching a very kind of, uh, a, a place that I wanted it, which I'd, I'd dreamed of. Like we well, this, were being courted by SNL. They were they were uh, um, bringing us to New York, putting us up, trying to, you know, we were showcasing. People were coming up to Boston. People from New York were coming up to Boston to look at the so shows. So this was, let me, let me just tell the audience. I mean, this was a sketch show that, that featured you, John Ennis, Warren Dombrowski, John Groff. Uh, uh, Paul Kozlowski, uh, 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 John Benjamin, Sam Cedar, um, uh and 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 all you guys would every week there was one of you guys. Oh, Carrie Prusa. Um, yeah, I know I'm oh, forgetting right. people. Prusa, Crescino occasionally. Jim DeCroto, Waterman. Oh, Earl Waterman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and you know you and Louie and Janine and Laura Keitlinger and I mean people would be coming in from out of town. You and, created this. It was it was really I think one of the the first um, you know sketch troops or not. Even, I don't know if I would call it that, but like a a, a, a scripted sketch show that kind of came about organically with all stand-ups really other than Carrie yeah and, and, it, and it initially as you and i uh sat down and and wrote this thing up for robin horton the yeah. catch guy you know initially it was um it took a while to evolve out of there to to more of a pure show but it was uh kind of to take the piss out of those comics and stand-up and open mic nights and it would evolve from an open mic night that I hosted where where Robin asked me to host whatever Tuesdays right, right. showcase night or whatever. And then uh so we had fake comics. We had people being fake comics, we had plants in the audience. Right. There would be five legitimate stand ups who would who would, you know, set the tone for the the evening and and for a good half a year nobody I mean, cool people would come in and heard about it and would come in, but 
but all the the people, the tourists and stuff that were coming had no idea. Eighty percent of the audience had no yeah. idea what we were doing. And then we'd then it would be full on show with videotapes, and we'd we um would leave through a back door, and the video screen would go, right. and we'd continue the bit right. that and, we had pre taped. Yeah, we had themes to them, very kind of a lot of early Mister Show ideas where there was a beginning, middle, and end, and it was right. kind of paid off and themes, and um and then it evolved from there after. Uh, I don't know, after about a year and a half, two So in 92, people were starting to really re- realize it? And... Yeah, we had, a, we had a run at the Charles Playhouse. That's right. Know? Yeah, we yeah, had I bands remember. playing. Right. And, um, you know, did kind of best of stuff, and Louis C.K. would make short films, and uh, we'd show those, and um, it was a really cool night, you know? Uh, did and... you meet with Lauren and everything? I did meet with Lauren, uh, but that was after I'd moved to L.A. Um, uh, Jim Downey was... was amazingly nice and sweet and really instrumental uh whether he knows it or not he gave me an open invitation to come there and write uh, snl and um and when i was a kid that was literally all i wanted to do was snl right and i remember visiting and um later on visiting in the sarah silverman david tell period and when those guys were riding on there, and that's going way back, Janine, I think. I don't know if it's pre or post, but it was right around there, Laura Keitlinger. And I went and uh, hung out with those guys, and they were all friends. Um, I remember going to the writer's room, and uh, they were just miserable. I mean, they were fucking miserable. Yeah. And it was such a poisonous atmosphere and and this... Um, sense of competitive, like cutthroat competition. Yeah. Uh, that was that was uh, foisted upon them. That they were put into um, in this tiny little box, and it was really uh, it was a bummer. And it and I and I thought, wow, I don't want to do this. This seems terrible. And and I I honestly didn't think about it again. You, you just know? let it go. The yeah. the the illusion was destroyed. Yeah, I, what, I mean, what SNL seasons were were had the most impact on you? Was it like the first one? Oh, definitely first when one? yeah, the first stuff when I was a kid. I was like, you know, I was a teenager. Yeah, yeah, me too. Because like, it's weird. That I got thing a, didn't exist. Yeah, and I got a, I got an email recently from a guy who's like, "Why do you keep talking about SNL? It sucks." And 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 I'm like, "Well, it's it, it's SNL." And no, there have been I mean, good times and bad times for but, so long. In the last, I I you know, I'm pulling this number out of my ass, but let's say 20 years, it has been. You know, it's all about kind of making a, a impact that night. Ratings. They're they're getting people who are promoting a country western album and right. some dumb movie, right? And that's what it is, you know. And they have to service those people. They yeah. have to service Paris Hilton. They have to service these people who aren't. There's nothing interesting or or engaging about them. And you're trying to get past that crap to get to the nuggets of like you know and they've got amazing amazingly talented people yeah definitely i mean just top notch but you know when you have to write a show in a week and you have to service somebody who's not funny or a good performer um and you have to service their personality and you have to you know uh a number of those sketches have to be about uh current pop culture bullshit that you or i as adult males don't give a shit about right um you know it's it's less of an engaging show but it wasn't always like that they had fucking ron ziegler on as a host i mean they had yeah. the coolest it was an interesting show yeah you know they yeah. had elvis costello on right back when nobody knew who that was 
and they had uh you know fear was on i mean oh, they I remember just had, fear because that was belushi's band yeah they i mean they had like it was a it was a it was a uh who was it your was guy? a relevant show yeah who was your guy belushi um no bill murray yeah bill murray was my guy i yeah. mean i liked all of them but yeah. bill murray pretty much and when okay so you met with lauren did, was that a interesting encounter or it it was um only for its uh lack of interesting it, i i have one <laughs> I, I impression that i do of it and i've yeah. only met him this one time and uh and you know i don't have anything negative to say about him at all i i only know him through this this meeting i i just to give it a little backstory uh this is back when Julia Sweeney was on the show and they were going to hire some temporary writers to write for the women on the show uh, with them in mind. And uh, because of my uh, the past cross comedy stuff and Jim Downey and because of Julia and I knew some of the other people, um, I got, uh, you know, they said, oh, you should meet with Cross. He's here. He did this thing. He worked on the Stiller show and blah, blah, blah. So... I had a meeting with him. I didn't know. I, I, the first impression is, first of all, we we talked for about forty minutes. Yeah, and I left that meeting, and I could not tell you. To this day, I can't tell you whether he liked me, wh- whether he was impressed with me, what he thought of me. I just after forty minutes, just don't know. They when I came out of there. Uh, my friends are like, holy shit, you talked to him for 40 minutes. That's amazing. He must love you. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, good. And this is my very brief encapsulated impression of my 40 minutes in that I'll be Lauren and I'll ask you a question. Okay. All right. So, David, what do you think of alternative comedy? Uh, well, it's... Uh, because it... I'll tell you what I think. It's... Uh, and that was... It was like that for about... <laughs> 40 minutes and again it's not that's it really, not like it, a it negative really, thing it, i didn't leave there going like what a dick i just i left there with just i had no idea but that what that's, he thought of me or it's interesting though because th- that whole thing stuck in his craw because when i had the meeting with him he was like i don't know what you think you're doing below 14th street <laughs> yeah. and i'm like what if we're just doing shows and that when i say that i don't i don't uh you know, I'm not uh, making that uh, question up because I remember that question no, more no, than anything. No, no, it definitely fucked and, with and him. I was, and I was thrown off a little bit because he clearly... It was because a, it had gotten an intention in the New York Times. Yeah. And, uh, but whatever. I, You know, so when you moved to LA, it was to do the Stiller show. Yes. It was with a job. It was to move there. Um, I had been in LA briefly in the 80s. You know, that's a whole other story. Um not from when I first ran into you with my girlfriend who I chased down to the college who was at summer school and you were uh, staying at a college dorm on the floor. No, that's with, going so far back. With John Innes. Yeah. And you that were, was in the back of a, that was in a supply closet in the back of a kitchen at a frat in yeah, Westwood. That's right. And you had, had, I remember you had this amazing, you know, business idea. You went in somewhere, <laughs> you bought like. like I didn't a, buy it. I stole it. You they stole it. the jewelry? Yeah. Yeah. I was working at a jewelry place and- In what capacity? Just whatever. Uh, uh, a girl that I had a, um, a very, very brief, ill-fated kind of fling with that yeah. didn't even, wasn't even a fling, but yeah. a, a relationship with whatever, um, had friends out in LA and when I was going to LA, uh, she hooked me up with them to get a job 
And because uh, initially it didn't, you know, uh, uh, Ennis was selling weed and we were living in that car. And, uh, um, you know, that was in the very beginning. And then things kind of panned out. We got a place to stay and I got some money from somewhere. I don't know. I won. I remember winning 45 bucks at a playing Trivial Pursuit and that sort of was rent for a week. And uh, that must have been like, what, 87? Uh, 86, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so you're working at this jewelry store. So I'm working, it wasn't a store. It was a, uh, they, they, uh, they manufactured it and, yeah. uh, I would do everything from collections to shipping to just, um, but it was it, crap. It was crap, but they were very nice to hire me yeah. and they were happy to have me yeah. there. And, uh, and occasionally I'd go back to their place that people owned it and I would, uh, do some babysitting or something yeah. or just whatever. They were, they're very nice to me. And, uh, then they'd give me money to take a cab cause I was, uh, living in, um, Koreatown. Yeah. And um and I would just pocket the money and take a bus and sit on the bus. And I would I was just high constantly. I'd yeah. wake I'd wake and bake. It, it took me three buses to get there. I was in Koreatown. I it was off Cloverfield and like in the twenties in Santa Monica and then I'd go to this shitty job and um you know and I try I just <laughs> wait, weren't you were you at the comedy store? You were. No, I no, I, no what it was was like or did Sarah you Sarah had that I had dated her, yeah. and then she went away for the summer to do summer school, and she was at UCLA and staying at that that place where you and and I guess you or John Ennis were seeing some girl who lived there, and like it was it was at that frat house in Westwood because she yeah. I chased her down because I got jealous. Oh right, so, that's when I, I ran into you. Yeah. Right, and I ended up like you know staying with her, and I was furious because I thought she was fucking somebody else. And you and I only knew each other vaguely from meeting uh, when you were at Emerson. We met at Stitches, so we were not. It wasn't like right. any of we weren't established or anything. Oh my gosh. I was just right. completely yeah. surprised to see you. And there I was, jealous and freaked out, imposing on this girl. And then you and John come out of nowhere and you were fucking hilarious. Yeah, I just remember sitting around getting high and playing guitar and you did I have a never ending song oh, of yeah. love for you. And you guys were just so fucking hilarious. And then I just remember we were all going to the beach and we were hungover and you had this like, you know, this tablecloth and all these yeah. fucked up earrings and you were gonna sit there in venice and sell these earrings well to <laughs> our credit um we did have a you know as i as i was saying before i'd just take little things from i take a glue gun i yeah. take glue sticks one day i take some uh the ceramics the other right. day i take the back in the other day and then eventually compiled enough of them so that we had this train we and and john and i had a whole spiel and we we just set up on the boardwalk in venice they're like, hey, ladies and gentlemen, uh, mother, you know, yeah. kid tested, mother proved you're going to love these earrings. Blah, 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 blah. And we had this pattern. You had an act. We had an act. And then uh, uh, somebody from, there was a, uh, uh, some syndicated show called Putting on the Hits yeah. where you'd, where you'd uh, lip sync. Yeah. And they're like, they stroll by and like, hey, you guys got some funny shtick. Mm -hmm. We're going to put you on Putting on the Hits. Yeah, mm -hmm. great. And they filmed us. You know, just doing our thing for about two, three minutes. Of course, we told everybody we were going to be on TV. Never made it on. Yeah. We made people sit through that stupid show. <laughs> um, but the other, we didn't sell too many. We sold a handful. But then there was, we were, we were really high. And this woman uh, goes to buy the earrings. And as she's buying them, the backing comes off. Yeah. And just the glue is like, it's a big strand. It looks like honey. And she's like, well, uh, what, what's going on? I can't, I'm not going to buy this. I want my money back. And um, 
my my as I was really high and I was like, oh no, that just happened because of the sun. It'll, yeah. uh, and she's like, so I'm not allowed to wear these outside. Uh, <laughs> you know, preferably they're indoor earrings. <laughs> just the dumbest. <laughs> and it was pretty much what ended. Uh, that was that. the end of that business. Yeah, we were I like, can't, were you part of that thing where, like, when we were in college, a Catch a Rising Star auditioned a bunch of people to do that Catch a Rising Star live on campus? No, but that's what John was. John right, did that. Right. That's where I first met John, uh, John Innes and Joe Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they did a bit together. It was almost they a did. Python-esque bit. Yeah, John and Joe were very, very close, and uh, we were uh, in a sketch group in college uh, at Emerson together called This is Pathetic. Right. Um, well, let's get back to, so you, okay, so you're going to LA with a job. Yes, I went to LA with a job and a lot of attitude, which I regret, I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed by, but- um, Which attitude? The like, you know, everything sucks, you know, this is real comedy? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I remember, like, I remember being at a loft party, in fact- uh, Morphine was playing. I think Morphine had just started and uh, like formed. Yeah. And uh, I was there. I had talked to Tim Sarkis, who's now my manager. Yeah. Um, who kind of uh, facilitated the stuff. After Janine Garofalo uh, had me send writing samples from Cross Comedy to Ben Stiller Show and Judd Apatow and Ben and uh, – and I got the offer, but the but it was one of those things like you have to be here right now. You have to be here right. in three days. Right. And I remember it's so embarrassing and so pretentious, like sitting there. I had gotten off the phone and I'm there with my plastic thing, a shitty keg beer. I'm sure I was with Rivers. Yeah. And I'm and I was just going like everything's going to change. That's all. And I I was right, but I was also such an artsy douche about it. Like, yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> L.A., Hollywood, <laughs> fuck, bunch of prostitutes, yeah. artistic prostitutes. Everything's going to change. My whole life is going to change. <laughs> you know, just ugh, awful. What? What life? What? what? <laughs> I know. Well, that's that's the other thing. But I, but the thing that made me accept it in my heart so quickly, even though externally I was like, I don't know, man, I'm struggling with this idea. I was so fucking over being poor and you you remember that's you remember the last apartment i was in which you called the loser museum or, or maybe that was Fraser yeah, well or whatever. that's well i used to stay there occasionally when and you it, were your girlfriends yeah at the projects yeah roach infested yeah. we we'd turn up the oven for, for heat, heat yeah and boston winter is just a depressing area that hadn't been built remember those up. sandwiches though the meat sandwiches, the like the four or five meat sandwich from that Five Guys place or whatever, right? No, Hi Fi. Hi Fi in, uh, in a on Mass Ave. Yeah. yeah, that place was amazing. The, the meat, meat bomb. The, the meat, meat bomb. bomb. Holy fuck! That was, was insane. It? it was sausage, uh, sausage, steak. pepperoni, steak, meatballs. What oh. else were they? It was all and hot stuff. Beef. And like yeah, the the cheesesteak stuff. Oh man, it was crazy. God, it was fucking great. Oh yeah, I but yeah, that I was just I was so tired of being poor and meat bombs and skin rashes. That's what I yeah. remember about those and days. A lot of ramen. Yeah, and I knew every happy hour in Cambridge and Boston so where you could to eat dinner. Yeah, where to get the all you can eat wings yeah, if you yeah. buy a pint. of yeah. you know Schlitz or oh, whatever. Oh God, good times. All right, so let's let's we're we're getting mired in the past. So okay, so you go there and you 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 get the gig and you're with Ben and Judd and Bob and. Mm-hmm. And you write the fuck out of that stuff. Yeah, I was there. Uh, it was very intense, very quickly. Um, I had never written in that uh, way, and I've never been in that uh, atmosphere before. I've never, I, I couldn't have told you anything about what 
what, how a TV show works and the writing staff. I mean, literally, the only thing I knew was Mary Tyler Moore or the Dick Van Dyke show. Right. You know, and uh, I was not used to writing for somebody else and in particular for somebody else who um, was really wanted to focus on like uh, impressions and parodies, yeah. specific parodies. Ben. Ben, yeah. And, um, and you know, uh, I, I got one, I, I contributed to a bunch of things um, here and there, like just, just added a line or yeah. two, uh, if that much, for, for certain other things. There were a couple things we did that um, uh, we shot once and I don't think aired this thing that was supposed to be a, a running thing. And then I did, I only really did two, on my own, two bits that yeah. were on there. It was this- uh, The Pooter Toots bit? TGO Pooter That was the best bit. That and that sort of shows uh, an early example of how uh, my sketches and even you know b- to my stand up at, at the, my old kind of conceptual stuff had like a a twist to it. Like it started this way and had a twist, but and also then it was like a story told. And the you theme know. was you know definitely anti corporate and definitely satirical in the sense of of how that you know how you, you know what corporations are in a way. I guess. But well, it, you're talking about a franchise food business that was based right. on capitalism and and the the, the you're, uh, you're reading way more. You're giving me much more credit than I. I was, but for not that. really. It I mean, it, silly. It, it was, but, it, but it comes out of your head, and then you know, as your standup evolved, I mean, those are themes that you deal with. I guess, but it, it was, uh, but I, I I did that, and then the last scout, which was or a few good men or something like that, yeah. a few good scouts, whatever it was. But those are the only two bits because uh, I was a mid season replacement. That's why they were like. Hung up the phone. You have to be out here, you know. And did you get along day. with Ben and Andy and everybody? And yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I had met Ben before that briefly with Janine um, at the Snake Pit, and we yeah. um, uh, I had been out visiting L.A. and and this is before the show started up, and um, you know, we we all got along. It was right, uh, uh, but I didn't really. And Judd. Judd, I, I hung out with less, and uh, I mean that guy was super busy. Everybody was busy, but yeah. he was um, writing for Shanling, writing for. He this was, thing. he was, yeah. I mean, and he's producing the show, running the right. show, and uh, um, you know, he was, he was very busy. There was no, uh, we didn't, nobody really hung out socially, which, which I think was the um, the most immediate strange thing to me that I that I figured out within the first two days of work that people just didn't hang out socially. Yeah. Um, this wasn't about friends or drinking beer. No, I mean, uh, I, I, I came to learn that, but, um, you know, I, I can't say that it's been like that with any of my other shows. Like Mr. Show, we all hung out all the time. I think it engenders, you know, uh, well, what was the evolution of that? Cause you, were you writing with Bob at Ben Stiller? I no. mean, do- uh, and Bob and I did not get along. Um, I didn't like him very much. He was Why? abrasive. He yeah. was he was clearly funny and a really good writer. Yeah, uh, but he was a dick. He was he uh, was it that weird kind of acted like your dad thing. What what have you got going on, David? That I, no, it, we didn't even. He kind of fucked with me too. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, like I think enjoyed putting me in this spot and 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 why. I don't necessarily blame him. I, I was very, very green. I'd never done anything before. And they're probably going, who's this kid? They're, you know. But also up. you're completely different than him. I mean, he is a, you know, a sort of controlling workaholic and yes. you're uh, out of control alcoholic. 
Yeah, and I was very carefree about stuff, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. very, uh, um, I didn't respect the institution, right? and I didn't um, approach things in the same way, and after work, I would be, I would get any of the other writers that I could, it was mostly Brent Forrester, and uh, occasionally Rob Cohen, and please, can we go to the Snake Pit, it was this bar, it yeah. was not too far from the, the where we work, the yeah. offices, uh, you know, I just want to hang out. Let's, yeah. let's find out about each other. Let's yeah. shoot the shit. We're all funny, right? Yeah, let's yeah. <laughs> socialize. And, and But most people would go their separate ways and um, there re- really was very little socializing. And then when they're in production, I mean, it's they're they're working. They're busy. Yeah. But So I was mostly being the other writers. Yeah. Um, but it was like pulling teeth to get anybody to hang out. And, uh, um, and that's just not the way, that's just not my personality, you know? And, yeah. Um, uh, on any show subsequently that I've worked on, you know, you hang out. I mean, they're, it's your writing staff. Right. I assume you hired them for a reason. You, you know, and we, so any show, Mr. Show or, you know, um, any anything I've done. Well, what, uh, and so then how, if you and Bob didn't get along, how did you end up working together? Um, after the Stiller show ended and, um, you know, we still had mutual friends and I had just fucking moved out here. And I had just been thrown into this thing. And and I was still very, very close with Janine. And Janine was dating Bob. And uh, so we ended up hanging out more. And he became, um, uh, especially out of that environment, just sort of fucking around. I think he saw that I was funny and, and kind of worth his <laughs> attention. And um, and then eventually, I can I can tell you the first time that I remember us really connecting. It was a party at Laura Milligan's at her old place with uh, Jerry Finelli and you know that crazy crazy nonsense over there. And uh, we were at some party, and we were in the kitchen, which was a kind of tight, cramped thing at, at Milligan's. And um, we started riffing the bit that eventually became the. Um, can't remember the name of it but the pot you know the pan selling the pans whatever that thing was right, it was right. an early mr show sketch uh you know kiss the pan the pan kisses you back and all that stuff and uh, and we just sort of riffed on that his character and my character and just sort of doing this goofy stuff and that was the f- and just making each other laugh and that was the first time i remember really connecting in that extra level way and then shortly after that uh, around that time was all the diamond club shows um, which I'm, I would imagine uh, dozens of people have mentioned on this podcast. No, no one has. No, get out of here. The Diamond Club shows? No, I don't even know what they are. No, you know what I'm talking about. The shows at uh, the back of that disco in Hollywood, that, that's where, uh, where Tenacious D kind of started and Mr. Show right. basically started, but before it was Mr. Show. And we had these, Dave Rath was putting together these right. people and we'd all, we'd have a night. And I did some stuff on Bob's sketch night and bob did some stuff with me and we wrote together and we wrote these ideas and on both of our shows which i think were like back to back week to week um one week after the other and uh they were clearly i mean we had written these other things and did some stuff with other people but those were the i mean on both our nights like just stand out and then we decided well let's write a thing together and and it was just to to this day, the most effortless I've ever written. Where we were just totally on the same page, uh, uh, elevating each other's idea, uh, 
kind of adding edit you know editing it in a in the right way and adding elements and taking it from give putting a left turn where a left turn should be and and just creating these really cool bits and fleshing them out and giving them depth and uh um and it really was just effortless they were just we were making making each other laugh and doing that and then then we put these shows together and and they were great. And you drew from some of your friends from uh, Cross Comedy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I had I had gone to Al's Bar in uh, in downtown. God, I remember that place. Yeah, for their this thing called No Talent Night. Right. This I is like in that. ninety, I guess ninety three, ninety four. Yeah. And uh, just looking for people before we had Mister Show. Yeah. Uh, when it was like sketches and stuff, yeah. I was like, oh, I want to find a good comedy novelty. Yeah song thing to do and so i went to no talent night you know thinking i'd see like a a guy juggling on rollerblades or whatever and like oh you want to do five minutes at the show and uh and that's when i first saw tenacious d and they had three songs or two they had two songs (laughs) and i went up to him and i thought kyle was the leader yeah that's how (laughs) clueless i was (laughs) and i approached him afterwards like this is jack and 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 because (laughs) I, I've always had this problem. I still have it to this day. I take things way too literally that are just uh, throwaway things yeah. that people say are metaphorical. And they were, they did, it was a, a greatest song in the world tribute. And he call he's in the song, he calls Jack his brother. Yeah. I mean, he, Jack calls Kyle his brother. So I was like, oh, they're brothers. Yeah. Um, okay. And, I, and I'm talking, I'm like, hey, I talked to your brother and- uh, <laughs> It's like some nerdy white guy promoter guy. Hi, I talked to your brother. You seem, I seem awfully funny. Um, yeah. And I gave him my uh, information. I told him I was doing the show, and and uh, you know I don't know what they initially thought of me, but then yeah, that that was like their their. I just uh, facilitated an introduction to that world, you know. Well, how did uh, how did um, like Jay get involved and? Jay, oh, that was, uh, Jay was from Chicago, and Paul Tompkins, Paul Tompkins was from Philly. Somebody, some mutual friend of theirs put them together and said, you should meet this guy, I think your sensibilities would match. So those guys got together, they had just uh, not been in LA very long, and they put together, um... To this day, I would say it's one of the, if not the funniest sketch show I've ever seen in my life. It was called The Skates. And they did like five or six bits. And they were genius. And they're, they they worked really well together. They were two very distinct um, performers and personalities. I think Jay had done a lot of stage stuff in Chicago. I don't think Paul did much sketch stuff. But he was like starting his stand-up. And he has a very unique... Uh, um, you know, persona and stand up as well. And, uh, and they just really almost like Bob and I are completely different people. They're different, but they just, it was a great mix. The writing was fucking so funny, top notch. I loved it. And there's Paul F. Tompkins and Jay Johnston. Yeah. But they came on when we were already doing the show. We had, we had done the stage show enough. And I think at that point it sold the show idea to HBO. So what what point were you in, in Aspen? There's 95, I think at the Aspen comedy festival. Yeah. Cause that's what I remember. I remember that. That Like, were you at that show? That was brutal. Yeah. It was at this weird salon. It was like a circle, like a theater in the round. You were literally in some sort of pit. It was a cowboy bar. Yeah. It was like, you were like in a pit. With like its own little, 
I mean, they they manufactured. It was a dance floor. Dance floor. They manufactured. Uh, and you were uh, showcasing for Brillstein, right? Uh, for HBO, through Brillstein was was the one who right. who kind of got us there, and that and, was and when made the, HBO give us a slot. And it, that was when that you know that was sort of that festival was really sort of like take a look at what we might do. Yeah, and that was also the 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 first time I saw Bernie Brillstein in person and it was in the bathroom and i'd walked into the bathroom and he was at a urinal with his entire pants down around his ankles he was standing up against the urinal he was a big boy yeah he with his pants guy. down and i'm he, like that's bernie brillstein a, yeah he didn't have much of a choice and that, that guy was a fucking legend man i i don't have i'm nothing but superlatives to say i'm so happy i got to meet him and and he was a part of my life before he died. He's just a, a legend, amazing, amazing guy. Yeah, amazing, cool. Did great. you spend time with him? I did. I mean, over the years, yeah. yeah. He was a producer of Mr. Show and and subsequent other things, and and I just uh, I think the greatest guy I've met in Hollywood. You know, in that world, just just Why? his stories. He was... He's a, he's a. Uh, there's no bullshit. Yeah. He's a nice guy. He's magnanimous. He's um uh he's legendary and his stories are almost Forrest Gumpian of like he was at Lenny Bruce's Carnegie Hall concert kind of by chance. He right. discovered the Muppets by chance. Like you know, and he he started out, I think he's one of those Wayne Morris mailroom guys. Oh yeah. And um he 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 produced Hee Haw. Yeah. I mean <laughs> Just stuff like what you did he you know I didn't know what what did I, I didn't give a fuck I, um, I didn't know what I was doing uh, so why did uh, why did Mister Show how many episodes did you do how many seasons uh, four seasons but two of them were very truncated the the first was you know an experimental four and then we got two we got to do two more the next year two and more then, fours uh, we did four and then we did six yeah. Then we did uh, 10 and then another 10. And then we did three uh, best ofs that were all uh, their own unique self package. We'd, we'd stick things into this other kind of. And you toured bits. a little bit with it live? Yeah, we. Uh, I wish we had done more. Uh, we did a, um, a show in 2004, I want to say, called Hooray for America, which is based on a script Bob and I wrote. Um. And did really you feel like it, it, it? Did you feel like it was done, or were you mad that it was over? Uh, both. I I knew it was done for me, and I felt uh, why an immense. I just didn't want to have that life anymore. Um, you know, it was you had no personal life, and we worked really, really hard. We worked in every single capacity of that thing where we would meet. Bob and I would meet before the writers even came in officially. We'd meet for weeks and and come up with ideas and write some bits. Then the writers would come in and then you're pre-producing, producing, doing the post on it. And then as you're finished uh, the end, the last post and you've turned it in, then you have to start doing press for that thing that's coming up. And, you know, it was nine and a half months. You had two and a half months off. And, and Bob is so diligent and so bizarrely driven i've never worked that hard in my life yeah and i'm i appreciate it and i'm glad i did and it taught me how to work hard on other things and um and i don't regret any of that but it also after four years was like okay and and we Have also you had enough of each other oh i don't think it was that it was just i just wanted to move on in in uh, you know um uh, in my career and in my personal life i, I mean i right. just 
and I didn't want to live in LA. Um, and uh, and then when they moved the show from Fridays at its comedy block, HBO's comedy block with the Chris Rock right. show and Mr. Right. Show, and they moved us to Monday at midnight, it's yeah. over. Yeah. It was over. Yeah. It was done. They'd put you out to pasture. Now, how, how uh, when, when you decided on the cargo shorts? Mm-hmm. It was a conscious decision I made. Um, and Bob made the suit. Was that a discussion you had? Um, that was based on how, uh, and there was never any discussion um, outside of like, oh, what should we wear? I don't know, wear what we normally wear. Um, when we did the stage shows, we never talked about it. Bob would wear a suit. That's yeah. what he felt comfortable in. He'd yeah. wear a suit. He did. He wore a suit when he did his one man shows. Yeah. You know? And you know me when yeah. I did stand up. I'd have shorts yeah. and a yeah. t shirt and a flannel. Yeah. You know. And so that was it. That was it. We were just like you be you. I'll be me, and that's how we'll dress. <laughs> and guess what? It's fucking hot in L.A. Yeah. most of the time. <laughs> so I, I was about comfort. Obviously, I didn't. I you know I'm not a fashion icon well the reason why it's so important to, you know all this stuff is that for a lot of comedy nerds i mean those shows ben stiller and, and mr show were like really starting points for a lot of things yeah. and like you look at the guys that wrote for that like ackerman and dino and uh and jay and brian pussain and mm-hmm. you know all those guys you know went on to uh to big careers what happened with the movie uh with the run ronnie run yeah man that's a that's such a long all right. Depressing, boring story. It, it, it's it was um, a creative collective that we all assumed was going to work the same way we did, and it did on Mister Show. Uh, turned out not to be that way, much to the dismay of Bob and I. And um, there were uh, personal falling fallings out for for I think obvious reasons and um and then just a bit of a a bit of a power move uh and that combined with the unfortunate timing of Mike DeLuca who was at New Line who championed the script yeah. being fired while we were in production and uh uh so nobody wanted to do anything with it and that combined with uh a, a very um, just primitive, uh, uncreative, ignorant idea of marketing the film and what the film was, and and we just lost, you know, control. all control. And was we there, had is there bad blood between any of the the people on the creative side? Um, I it, the, it's been smoothed over. I know, uh, I know, Bob and Troy have, um. Troy was the uh, producer of Mr. Show? Uh, director. Yeah. yeah, he was a uh, producer, director. And he was amazing. At he Dakota? Was at Dakota. He was as instrumental mm-hmm. for the show's success as Bob and I was. He was, what he did for a, for no budget, um, I mean, he, he was really, really important. He was the kind of... Um, the guy behind the scenes was I, I, I say without hesitation, he was as important as any other element. And, um, and, uh, you know, we made our piece, Bob and he, he mm. had made his, uh, made their piece. And, uh, you know, I've worked with him a couple times, you know, since then. And, you know, he's a really talented guy. I just think it was unfortunate the way everything, well, I know it's unfortunate. And, and I, that movie is 30% of what it could be. I think it could have been a really funny, cool, interesting Mr. Show type movie. Um, and also I should say in fairness, our initial um, 
script and we did like numerous revisions, the Ronnie Dobbs story was only a third of the, the story. That was the thread that took you to these other, I think right. very cleverly as right. they went cross country like to these Mr. other Show. sketches. Yeah. yeah. And it became less and less of that with our new line notes and more. So and it was it, a classic story of the studio yeah. fucking yeah. everything up. Now, let me just get to this so we, you know, before we run out of steam, that it seems to me that, you know, your evolution as a stand-up, you know, in your later career, the thing, the big shift was that you were able to play off the popularity of Mixture Show and draw in an automatic oh, audience. Sure, sure. And then begin to say what you're really feeling. And that's what makes you change. Right. Uh, because as, as I uh, referenced before, all of a sudden I couldn't do any of those other things. You can't do characters that are going to look like a fucking John Leguizamo douche, right. you know? So you can't do any of that stuff. And, uh, you know, and I always had a, uh, distaste for the kind of, uh, um, kind of people who just did 90% of their stuff was just pop culture right. shit. And I, I still have a distaste for it and I don't, I don't respect it and I don't care about that stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, it forces you, um, to do other stuff and that, that I, you know, eventually in the, the last tour and dvd and special and all that shit i did was much more um personal stuff more anecdotal uh you know i just talked about the the decades and decades of drug and alcohol abuse and and what that's turned me into now that i'm 47 and i'm starting to pay the price for that um, in what way are you paying the price for it the loose bowels oh okay um and <laughs> you always had that <laughs> it's 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 gonna it's it's reached okay. a uh right. a new level um <laughs> it's more than that it's 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 that's the easy jokey thing to say but there are sure uh consequences sure. to a you know back when you're younger and you're you know but you're all right you're right? immortal and yeah i'm fine i'm fine yeah. i'm in better health than i should be and yeah. i when i turned 40 i went and got a full physical blood stool urine mm. everything heart rate i mean everything full on mm -hmm. everything you can possibly do and i was uh as you might imagine i was like okay i've i've really abused myself for for a long long time and i'm waiting to hear this terrible report and i told the doctor i was like there's no reason to lie you know yeah. i know it's going to be on a record <laughs> and i told him what i did and told him what my what my nights were like and what my and back and back when i when you i mostly first booze though weren't you no, not just. I mean, there was that, but when I moved to New York, oh, you got into pharmaceuticals, right? I everything, man. I got, I got into the stuff that you're, yeah, the last thing you're ever yeah. supposed to right, do, right? right? We know what I'm talking yeah. about. So, I mean, it was there was a, a period where it's like, uh, I heard about you during that period, and I was concerned that you were putting like, um, it was pretty bad. Was you were putting, uh, what was that? Um, that you needed something in the rider. That uh, you know that it was that what was that 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 stuff they give babies? To, oh, Pedialyte. Yeah, yeah, you have to have a... Pedialyte. That was your miracle cure. And at some point, you were carrying around a fishing tackle box of uh, of uh, pills and things. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't. That was a a, a pretty in a, in a relative sense a pretty short period. I mean, that was when I first moved to New York. Because um, I always knew you could put away alcohol, but there was a period there where I didn't. I wasn't in touch with your life, and I'm like, oh god, is he all right? Do I need to make a phone call? And I I mean i I could have teetered and not yeah. been all right, but I was all right. Well, you're um, you're pretty much uh, you're at the core. You're a fairly practical guy. Yeah, I like to think so. Yeah. Um, in fact, the one time the, 
it's it might be one of the most important decisions and moments of my life. I was in London. This is this is past when I I had gotten past the really bad period. But your physical was you came back okay. I, I came back okay, uh, and I was shocked, and I kind of. It might have been the worst news that you could have given me because yeah, then I went out and I celebrated for the next four years. But like, really? There's nothing wrong. You did. You checked. And I told you about my. Yeah. Okay. Is that my name on the top of the chart? Yeah. Um, I think I've told you the story about doing crack. Know. It was the only no, time I've done know. crack. I don't know um, what you did. I was there. I was doing shows. I was doing a month at the Soho Theater. Yeah. Six shows. I've done that a place. Week. It's good. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. yeah nice little yeah. theater. Yeah. And. Um, did you ever did you ever go to Camden when you were there, Camden Town? Mm-mm. There's a guy who's pretty well known. He's crack uh, guy. Um, well, that, but he's also a rockabilly guy. Uh-huh. Really super tall. Um, he plays at the back of this fish and chips yeah. place in Camden, and uh, he's like a local town hero. Yeah, you know, and he's good. He's yeah. really good. Um, but he's a drug addict. Yeah. You know? and um, and I ended up. Back at his place with some friends and uh, and then uh, some new friends. <laughs> and yeah. uh, his place was and, a- And then a third uh, set of friends that might steal things from you. Filthy. Yeah. I mean, it was like this, but if all this stuff was messy and yeah. um, uh, uh, just chaotic, uh, like Hoarders. It was yeah. like an episode of Hoarders. Yeah. Um, dirty bedsit uh-huh. in uh, in Camden up, you know, like uh-huh. third floor of this like council flat or whatever. Yeah. And there was literally a, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? A fish tank with dirty dishes in it. Like, yeah. like a, a shitty art director came in and said, wait, 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 put this in here. <laughs> and and we did crack. Yeah. And um, I'd never smoked crack before. And that's my preference is the upper stuff. Yeah. And uh I immediately like, holy shit, <laughs> this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> this is amazing. I get it. I totally get it. And, and I want more. I want more yeah. immediately. I've never experienced that. Yeah. Like, I want more. This is great. Yeah. Um, there was no real come down. I right. didn't I didn't struggle with that yeah. at all. But I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. And um, you know, I'd, I'd had plenty of speed before in, yeah. in different ways, and yeah. and it was kind of like that, but times ten, yeah. and uh, and I loved it. And I was willing to, not willing. I was happy. I would happily sit and talk to fucking toothless idiots for <laughs> three hours if I could just. I mean, every every. That's weird because you were never really a coke guy when I knew you, but you know, because that's what coke will do to you too. Yeah, but coke is it's not it's different. Yeah, it's, it's not as it's intense. It's not as uh, yeah. intense and it's um coke's more annoying. Right. Uh, I have nothing against coke. I and and it's I'm, I and don't think coke took anything personally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um <laughs> I just want I I I don't want to sound like I'm preaching like okay. oh coke's bullshit. I mean, coke's no, yeah, fine. It's yeah. way overrated. It's overhyped. Okay. It's not that big a deal. We understand your position on coke. Okay. Um so <laughs> But anyway, yeah. So you're talking to toothless idiots for hours. About their yeah, and then we eventually ran out of crack, and he's like, "Oh, let's get some more," and I really wanted some more. But yeah. at this point, it's like five thirty, six in the morning. Sure. I have a show to do. Yeah, I swore many, many years ago. I I swore to myself that I would never, ever, ever cancel a show because I was fucked up, and if I did that, then I've reached a turning point, and. Which meant that I was going to have to go do that show, and I was going to have to fucking struggle through it. 
Yeah, sweating um, and sweating uh, and you know yeah, yeah, and to yeah. teach myself a lesson yeah, and yeah. i was a professional and blah yeah. blah and uh and i knew that if i stayed around even though i wanted to i yeah. really wanted to yeah if i stayed around that my life would change uh right you're, you're I, at a crossroads i was literally at a figurative crossroads yeah <laughs> and uh i knew that um uh i would have canceled my show and, you know, the whole run was sold out and everything. And the reason I canceled it was because I was smoking crack. And I don't ever want to become that person. I'm stronger than that. Um, I'd always been stronger than that. And and I left. And I, you know, I did the show. I, I kind of probably got normal and sobered up around, you know, probably an hour before the show. You know, went home, slept as much as I could. And, um, uh, God, that's the worst sleep. Yeah, it was very it was fitful. Awful, it was yeah. also during this brutal summer that uh, England was going through and, and there was no ventilation in yeah. the uh, studio in the flat I was staying in. It was really Ugh. just ugly and, um, you know, bad, you, sweaty. And kinda, your brain aches. Yeah. Ugh. But I did the show and it was fine. Yeah. And I was back to normal. No one knew the turmoil you no were No one knew. That you were at a crossroads just hours before. Yeah. And I, I so wanted to stay there and I knew if I did that- I would become that person and and uh so yeah my record's still good and so I have not done crack since but ever. so you, have you tempered your lifestyle a great deal I noticed you had some tea and um well by for practical reasons yeah I well, mean, I, mean I, don't, I don't I'm I'm real when I'm working yeah. I don't indulge but what is your um, your primary indulgence still booze right it's whatever's there, yeah. you know. It's most it it is and will be. I think uh, just for assess- accessibility, it'll be Beer. yeah alcohol. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and I like alcohol, and I like uh, I like I like the sociability of yeah, it. You know, sure. I don't sit and drink by myself, but I like going out. And I happen to live in a city that's conducive to that kind yeah. of thing. And um, and uh, even London too. When I was there, was, you got big, uh, you got big tolerance too, though. I mean, yeah. I do. I have a I have a, a a strange for my size and physical makeup. I have a, a strange resiliency, but um, and you never got bloated and weird. Well, you know, I'm 47, and you know, I've had definite stages where my metabolism has slowed down. And when I go to London, in within three days, I've put on five pounds. Yeah, and it'll stay. It won't go past that, really, but. Oh, you feel it. You carry it around, and I have a fairly small frame, so like five yeah. pants all just in my gut, yeah. and it's beer. Yeah, you and seem it's... to have found some sort of weird, uh, you know, home in in London around you know what you do, and a sort of an appreciation for it. I, I love it now. I mean, I've kind of vacillated on whether I liked it or not. And it got lonely a lot when Amber wasn't there, and uh... and are you getting married? I am. Yeah. How old is she? <laughs> um. She will be 29 when we're married. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm dating a woman the same age. You okay with it? Yeah. It, it never really, uh, I mean, my dumb joke is that it's, uh, it never really comes up unless we're discussing drum and bass. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the age difference. But it really doesn't. I mean, occasionally there's a reference. But do you, do, do you ever have that moment where you're like, yeah, I'm going to be old. She's going to be 33. Um. <laughs> I mean, I I have uh, moments where I think it, it isn't even later later because I think it even means less later later. Yeah. But I have, um, like you know, I sold my place in the East Village, yeah, 
and um i've been looking to get out of there for about five years now yeah and uh and i feel uh, you know we're going to go to brooklyn and rent for a year and see how we like it and i feel guilty because a lot of the motivation is like you know what i've done this i've been doing this for yeah you know as we've been discussing i've been doing this since i was a teenager you want a relax already and I just don't, uh, that's not my, you know, I don't, I'm not going to go out going to see bands all night and then yeah. go drink with the, right. you know, yeah. cast of whatever, yeah. and, you know, do shots. I'll do that once in a while, but it used to be all the time. And, um, and I feel like I'm taking it because of, uh, and this is specifically because of age equaling experience and equaling like, all right, I'm done with that. Yeah. That I feel like I'm taking that away from her. If she's at the age where it's right. like she wants to do that, right? I feel like ah, I've done it. I've been doing it for years, and that—that's one kind of uh, oh. slight guilt I feel. I, I guess my feeling is that like yeah, I've been through a lot, and I've been through you know a couple of marriages, and I've you know I've had my heart broken in a fairly dramatic way. That the the my fear is that as I get older and more vulnerable because of that, that I I just don't know if I could take problems you think you get more vulnerable or less no do more you, think be- you have a hardened shell now no more- I, I because like i you know i don't know that i ever opened up fully and now like i'm starting to relax and i'm more comfortable with myself so i want to have that open so i can have those feelings and i just don't know if i can bounce back from another fucking dramatic right. heartbreak right but well that's, i mean know, that's uh that's- possible we're built to deal with it whatever you know but, I, mean? I mean, it's a good, uh, you know, it's an interesting point. You know what I haven't asked you is like, you know, I've known you a long time. I know. Uh, is is your mom all right? Yeah, yeah. She's fine. And your sis? Uh, Yeah. Well, you know, I have two. Uh, there's the one I'm close with. Yeah. Um, she's doing great. She has her own food truck in Atlanta, which is doing really, really well. Really well. Oh, that's right. And then you have the one that's sort of gone the way of the, uh, the townie. Or so. Oh, God. Well, she's in a trailer park and, you know, with her... Yeah. In Atlanta? Uh, no, she's in North Carolina. Oh, um, she upgraded. Um, something. I, yeah, I'm not sure about that, but she's. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's everybody's good. Everybody's fine. As yeah. you've gotten more successful, have you ever sought out uh, your old man at all? No, no, absolutely not. He lives up. The, you know, he lives in the '60s in New York. He lives not. You know, I could. I'm sure I passed by. I don't know where he is, but. I'm sure I've ridden my bike past his. Uh, when was the last time you had any interaction with him? Uh, I was 19. It was on the phone. I'm trying to remember, I don't think I knew you then. No, I I don't think I hadn't moved to Boston yet. I so, was still in Atlanta. So having grown up in that way, where you don't have this father, yeah, do you feel resolution around that in your heart? No, um, I mean I I'm resigned to what right. it's going to be and have been for a while and. Um, uh, I've never had that. Not once have I ever had that moment of like, you know, I should let bygones be bygones, and you know, there's nothing in it for me right. except uh, uh, anger and bitterness and recrimination, and I don't know why I would invite that. And he doesn't deserve um, the satisfaction. I know I'm being obstinate, you know, no, I and I, I know that. there's a bit of you know. Uh, uh, certainly stubbornness, but it's stubbornness is just something you apply to the situation. You can apply it or not apply it. Uh, right. It's just, it is not going to happen. Right. This is something that we, you know, I guess there's two ways you go with that because he, the, he just left, right? 
Yeah, but then we found out, you know, Wendy and I found out all these shitty things over the years subsequently, not immediately, but over the years, like, hey, remember this thing? You know, what the real deal was, was this. And, you oh, know, yeah. yeah, just shitty, bad. Yeah. Just, you know. Um, yeah, because I guess there's two ways you can go with that. Either like, I'll, saw, you know, I'll get peace with this on my own. Or, you know, or I can, you know, tell him I forgive him or whatever, but then all of a sudden you give them. The, but I don't the forgive him. Right. I don't, nor will I. And right. and I, I hope that I will have children um, someday yeah. soon. You know, we've talked about it. And, um, and I hope I am a exemplary, good, better father right. for it because I know I just cannot wrap my head around I know it exists it exists everywhere constantly throughout history and I'm sure we don't wouldn't have to go far down your street to find somebody who's similar but I don't understand father or mother who just doesn't care about their kids and doesn't their their level of selfishness uh, supersedes responsibility for a child I don't understand it. I don't get it. I, uh, you know, it's it's soft and silly to say I have a lack of respect for it. I, I loathe it. I hate it. I yeah. don't like those people and I don't, um, there's no excuse. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just, it's, uh, I just don't get it. And, that, and unfortunately in this world, that's how a lot of people are, you know? Yeah. In some form or another. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's abandonment, but then there's just emotional neglect and yeah, there's a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, mean, I just, I know at some point, um, especially as it became the age of my dad, uh, was when he left and he had three kids. Like I know that feeling. How old were you when you, when he left? Uh, I was, I just turned 10 or was he there for my birth? I was either about to turn 10 or 10. Um, I think it was 10. I think I just turned 10. And what, um, what preceded it? It was just him leaving. Yeah. I mean. Wait, did, uh, was there an event or he just no. split? He just no, split. no, no. He uh, he uh, sat us down and said, uh, you know, my mom and dad sat us down and said, we had, he had just moved us to Georgia from Syracuse and, uh, or back to Georgia, I should say. And we when I... You know, I've told you the stories. We had no money, zero, nothing. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, he basically left to go to Phoenix. Uh, he ended up in Phoenix. Um, put us in Roswell, Georgia, it, you know, owing a lot of money. My mom had no job, three kids. Um, we had come from Syracuse. We had been, um, we got kicked out of there. And he chased this job in Georgia, which didn't pan out because, you know, again, I was like nine or 10 and, yeah. and, uh, um, I, I subsequently came to find out all the lies and to understand his character and know who he Is was. He a con man? And not, not a con man. He didn't have a, he didn't have a, a, a like thought out cons. He was just a, uh. Uh, he would misrepresent himself, lie about stuff. He was so p- proud. He wouldn't, he, he was just a, um, a bit of a pathological liar. Yeah. And, um, he was, he was, um, the victim and everything. Right. And right. he, it was never his fault. The world and, was um, against him. Yeah. The world was against him. And, and if he was fired from a job, it wasn't his fault. And, right. Right. Um, you know, again, when you're, when you're 10 and you, and you, and I love my dad, I thought he was fucking awesome. Um, you, don't really have uh anywhere close to the full story but as you yeah. grow up you you 
come to know more stuff and my sister found out more stuff and uh um yeah he just sort of sat us down well, your mom and i are going to get separated he left we didn't see him again for uh until my bar mitzvah in which he took my bar mitzvah money mm. asked for it and took it um and uh but i was happy to give it to him because my dad was back in georgia yeah, yeah, oh my god yeah, this yeah. is great uh, and he, you know, you know, don't tell your mother. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, don't tell anybody. You uh, sign checks over. You got to him. it, Dad. You got it. You know, I need this to. Yeah. Then I can stay here and yeah. we can hang oh, out. Yeah. yeah. Just. Um, I just, I just don't that don't know that level of psychotic selfishness. Yeah. You know, and and as I was saying before, like this this idea that there's this guy who got married, had three kids. Who knows if he ever really loved my mother. Um, and I just imagine him truly thinking, you know what? I don't like this being married thing. I don't th- like this lady. You know, maybe a kid will make me feel different. So sure. he has a kid. Right. And then they end up having a couple more kids. He's like, you know, nah, it's not for me. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. Like that is literally, I mean, it's a simplistic way to view it, but that's literally the mindset of this guy going, yeah, I thought it, I look. I gave it a shot, guys. You can't blame me. I thought it would be. I thought it'd be my thing. I thought you guys. It's be not. Yeah, yeah. But so I'm gonna see. You. I'm going out to the West Coast. Y'all take it easy. Uh, definitely write. Yeah. Write me. Call me. Did you? Oh, in the beginning, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's my dad. I love yeah. him. And now has he has he reached out to you? No, no. Yeah. He's very stubborn as well. Huh. That's so it, a, it works out. Yeah. Now, in like, okay, let's just address this and then we'll, we'll finish up. It, it just, like, how do you, because I know you have this weird contempt for, uh, for the, uh, the hypocrisy of hipsters and the whole sort of culture of, of, you know, I do too. Uh, but, you know, yet we are embraced by it. So, you know, how do you reconcile that on some level? That, you know, on some level you are amongst Brian peers. No, but it's not the hypocrisy of, Hipsters, you have to be more specific about that. What I what I have contempt for is um, the, and it's not a strong contempt. I just have distaste for it. I don't like being around. Uh, I don't like being around stereotypes right. of any nature. Yeah, right. Um, uh, if or people I'm, who abide by right the, people right, who right, embody the fashion. That. Exactly, right, right. and uh, and that is a uh, subset of right. that. There's a stereotype sure, I get it, to I it. I get it. Yeah. There is a, it's, it's the inherent hypocrisy is I'm so, uh, you know, counterculture. I'm, I'm not doing, you know, that old joke of, of, you know, it was, you know, why did the hipster girl burn her mouth on the pizza? Why? Well, she wanted to eat it before it got cool. Yeah. You know, that kind of idea. <laughs> um, that's actually an old joke. You said that you set that up like the classic Jewish joke. <laughs> no, you're right. That's not old. Um <laughs> But it's it's that idea, you know. It's been, I guess when I say it's old, it's, it's just the idea has been there. It's talked sure. about. Um, you know, you can apply it to hippies or beatniks. Right. You or can't uh, you can't wear wisdom or 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 a life, you know, just because you uh, you know adapt to or or or. You, you just can't be. You can't be on your MacBook, 
on a um, blogging about steampunks and you know uh, submitting yourself for the mustache awards and um, you know <laughs> talking tweeting about uh, you know some yeah. artesian yeah. honey place on your iPhone <laughs> and be counterculture. You're right. not. It's just a joke. You can't wear those faux retro early 80s right no, you I know aids era kind of right, right. all color- that shit's back yeah and, yeah. and say like and then know. say look how cool i am or look how individual i am right, yeah exactly. or, you're, or you're counterculture a, i'm yeah. counterculture you're, you're in a room full of counterculture individualists who are all wearing roughly the same glasses. what do you do i i'm a, i'm a, what do you do again oh i do, oh i don't watch tv yeah <laughs> You know, the same person who I does hate people who say that people who don't watch TV yeah. yet find literally without irony, go, like, oh, I don't watch TV, but we'll watch stuff on fucking Hulu yeah. on there. But, but it's what's amazing to me is that like there was a, a time in my life where I would have said, like, I, I'm not watching TV, you know, because I thought it was you know, my the message was it's dumping shit in my brain. But now if someone says that to me, I go, what the fuck is wrong with you? There's great shit on television. It's great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are you stupid? Yeah. So how do you rec- how do you uh, deal with people that you know, accuse you of uh, compromising or selling out with this chipmunk business? Well, I don't anymore. I did. Uh, I made the mistake of engaging it early when when I did the first one, mm-hmm. and I and it certainly was more um, uh, closer to me, uh, you know, because I had just you? done it. Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, it's, it's they're vicious, you know, those faceless idiots. Yes, yeah, they they're. And you know, I I I felt that they kind of had a point, but um, but then it took me a little while to. But you knew that when he, he took the deal, right? Yeah, I mean, I, also you you're in a winless situation. Like I can tell you, um, obviously, I'm doing this on a podcast. Right. Nobody's going to hear it. But I, if we were talking, I would say to you, um, and I, and I made this point, and nobody wants to hear it, but. You, if you and I were talking, you'd understand. I'd be like, dude, I had not worked for six months, which is an eternity. Right. I mean, six months is a long time. You just question everything. Yeah, no one's going to like me again. Back. Right. Any, am I ever going to work again? Right. You know, you're it. It it's a domino effect that you're not as creative. I'm trying to generate ideas, and and nobody wants to hire you. And I took this job. Well, it's interesting. Know? It's very similar to throwing a fight. That you you know it's it's like when you're a fighter you know in the mob movies where you right. know you just like in Raging Bull where you just slug it out you slug it out and then all of a sudden nothing's happening because you're gonna have to throw you're gonna have to do one for the boys yeah in order to get your big shot right yeah that's <laughs> an interesting analogy <laughs> so so you had to throw a fight so I did it yeah and, um and it wasn't you know I didn't uh, I didn't do it because I needed the money although they paid me a good uh, it wasn't a lot in the beginning but the movie did so phenomenally well I got a lot of bonuses and yeah. Stuff. Um, but initially the check wasn't that great. Um, I just wanted to work and, um, and I knew I was going to get shit, but I didn't know the level of vitriol and, and bile. And it was, um, and it, 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 the reason it hurt and it, it, it landed was because I was feeling those things. I was like, oh my God, have I, have I really, have I sold out? Have I, well, what's my integrity now? Yeah, exactly. Right. And then after uh, after a little while of that, I just sort of came around and said, well, look, here's why I did it. Yeah. I don't regret it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that um, maybe it's getting older too. 
because there's been a good like six years in between these three movies um and now i'm sort of resigned to it and also nobody gives a shit <laughs> as Anymore, soon as, yeah. as nobody cares you know they make the same jokes i do um or, or rather i make the same jokes they do um uh and nobody truly gives a shit and also it seems to me that in in, in these are other people I've, I've spoken to about you know similar opportunities and taking them is that yeah, people are going to play on your weakness around it because you are such an outspoken person around. Of course, those well, issues. that was the thing that right. bothered me. You know, like, am I going to be able to say anything again and have integrity? But when when it comes right down to it, you know, you you did a job for a paycheck in in a family movie. Is there a crime in entertaining children on some level? That's the other thing that that I didn't. If I was smart, I would have addressed that in the beginning. Right. That this is a movie for five year olds that five year olds fucking love yeah <laughs> they love it you and i it's not for us yeah and it's also not i mean i see worse shit out there yeah, yeah, i mean yeah. it's not good but it's not evil right you know no, no of course not. and uh i mean the fact that we're even defending it and talking about it is uh, we're saying the obvious but stuff but that but we both you, know no i know but we have issues like this because you know there 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 is that weird feeling that you know because when you when you come from a place that you and i come from all you have is this weird honor system or this weird right, set right. of values True. that you know you define yourself by you, you know and, and you don't want to call bullshit if you're in bullshit and, and look here's the other thing uh that i'm not going to apologize for yeah is i made a shitload by the time the third movie came because i was contractually obligated right. to do the second one and the third one is there so, a fourth i'm not contracted to do okay. that i did i fulfilled my contract with three and you made a shitload of money i made well certainly by the third one yeah because i exponentially yeah, went yeah. up each time um i made a lot of money uh, and the other, uh, you know, extenuating factor in this is that Mr. Show, I didn't make anything. Yeah. I never made a penny on the DVDs. They yeah. still say we owe money. It's bullshit. I never made any money on that. Busted my ass for four years. Todd Margaret, I lost money. I put in my own money to, so we could do the, um, Cenotaph scene. I put in my own money cause we didn't have in the budget. So I lost money doing that show and spent a year in London by myself. And, you know, uh, all all the cool movies I do, Eternal Sunshine, Ghost World, all those things, I didn't make any money. The Ginsburg one? Yeah, you make uh, you make scale. Yeah. You make, uh, you know, right. you get a check for 2600 bucks, Right. And you make 34% of that. Right. I mean, you don't make any money. So, th so you know, there have been a... Um, uh, a handful of things where I got a, a decent paycheck. I remember Small Soldiers and uh, kids movies. Year one and yeah, well I do a lot. And uh, plus I do the voiceovers for you know Kung Fu Panda and Megamind and uh, Curious George and stuff. And you know, but that's yeah, I do lots of. Oddly enough, uh, I never would have expected twenty years ago when we were sitting around at Catch or mm -hmm. wherever. I never, if you would have said, yeah, you're going to be really huge in kids' movies. <laughs> like, nobody would have guessed that. And I don't know that there's any real uh, shame in that. Mm -mm. No, I have no shame in it. And at some point, I'll have a kid, and, and I'm sure they'll be delighted. I'm I glad hope. you're excited about having a kid. That's new, isn't it? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll take our time. I mean, Amber, as you said, is young and, um, you know... And she has a career, you know, yeah. to think of, and that's 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 important. Um, well, with everything, uh, it sounds like everything's going pretty good. Yeah, yeah, things are good, and yeah. uh, um, you know, I've got nothing uh, on the horizon, but I but I plan on 
you know, 80% of the work I've done is self-generated anyway and just sitting back and figuring out what my next thing is, you know? Yeah. Well, it's good to see you, Dave. Well, you too, as always. And uh, thanks for having me in your shed. Garage. That's it. That is a, a sincere and uh, very real hangout time with uh, with old friends right there. Me and Dave Cross. I hope you enjoyed that. That is our show. Please, uh, if you live in the New Jersey area, as I said before, I'll be in the, at the Stress Factory this weekend. That's Friday and Saturday, the 13th and 14th of April. Love to have you come down. What else? WTFPod.com for all your WTF pod needs. Get your JustCoffee.co op. I've got a link to the WTF blend in the merch section on WTF Pod. Go there and get on the mailing list. Kick in a few shekels. Check out the app situation. Check out the episode guide. Check out my calendar. Do what you need to do. Leave a few comments. Try to be pleasant. Try. I, I know some of you people out there who comment on things online are not pleasant. And we'll indulge it, but uh, don't be too mean. Boomer. Boomer. Come here, buddy. Like, what did he do? He did it like once. I can't even get him to come in here now. I got pressure be- be- behind my right eye. And pain in the back of my right head. I'm trying not to assume the worst. I'm trying not to Google brain cancer. Again. <laughs>